Hey, welcome into Positive Light. We're bringing a positive influence in this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. So today's episode is on the Bible, which is Basic Instructions Before Living Earth, B-I-B-L-E. So I was thinking about that. The basic word of this and the truer definition of the Bible would be living word. Although the Bible does give instructions to you, let's talk today on the living word, the Bible, and how important it is and should be in your life. So from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, All scriptures is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So according to Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God here is the written or spoken word, not the logos of John 1. So the English Standard Version says the Bible is living and active. The description of the Bible is living means that it is a vital power inherent to itself. The written word of God accomplishes God's purposes. The preaching of the Holy Scriptures brings about God's desired effects. The Bible is unlike other books, whatever emotional or social effects they may produce, in that it brings about lasting supernatural change within a person. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So Jesus likened the word of God in his parable of sower and the seed from Matthew 13. Like the Bible, it's not dead, but living, and it has the ability to bring forth more life abundantly. Seeds produce a crop. The Bible, as a living word of God, is not inert or powerless, as seen in the actions attributed to the word in the rest of Hebrews 4.12. The Bible penetrates deep within us and judges our hearts and motivations. It is active, not passive. The Bible is resisted or ignored to our own peril. We see the living word of God in action in the pages of the Bible. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the word of God, and his audience were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And from Acts 2.37, 3,000 people were saved that day. Later, as the apostles continued to preach, the numbers in the church grew to 5,000 because many of those who had heard of the word believed. God's word, living and active, does not return to him void. The Bible is the living word of God because it is the message given to us from the living God. The God who is alive works in this world through his living word in connection with the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke of the life-giving property of his words. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit of life from John 6.63. The word of our Lord is efficacious for our salvation and sanctification. Other indications that the word of God is alive include the fact that it sustains man, it brings faith, it has freedom to accomplish God's will, it's maligned, it gives spiritual birth, and it abides within believers. We see the living word of God in action every time a sinner repents and turns to Christ for eternal life. The believers, a changed life bears testimony to the living, acting power of the Bible. Commentator Matthew Henry wrote of the Bible that it convinces powerfully, converts powerfully, and comforts powerfully. 
It makes a soul that has long been proud to be humble, and a perverse spirit to be meek and obedient. Sinful habits that have become as it was a natural to the soul and rooted deeply in it are separated and cut off by the sword. It will discover to men their thoughts and purposes, the vileness of many, the bad principles they are moved by, the sinful ends they act to. The living word is active in the lives of those who receive it. According to the psalmist, the person who meditates on and delights in the word will be like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. The scriptures today are often downplayed in favor of man-made philosophers, personal experiences, or a new word from God. But the Bible cannot be ignored, as if it were dead or obsolete. The word of God is still powerful and very much alive. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts from 2 Peter 1.19. Some look at the Bible as a book of do's and don'ts. Others look at the Bible in pieces, carefully choosing verses to fit their own beliefs, while still others like to focus on grace and love and mellow out the heart stuff. We can't take any of those approaches. We must look at the Bible for what it is, God's communication with his creation, man, down through the centuries. The entire text, all 66 books, are written for a reason, and that reason is you. So let's go back to the question, how does the Bible relate to everyday life? It relates to us because it's God's communication with us. It is him speaking directly to us. He wants to be involved in our day-to-day. He wants us to learn about him as we apply his words in our lives. So the Bible can be difficult to understand. And I want to break it down a bit to help you reach a point where you see yourself in God's words. At the beginning, I referred to the Bible as a living word of God. That's because as we change and grow, our different circumstances come into our lives. We find that a verse that once was unrelatable to us suddenly resonates with us. So the Bible can feel unrelatable at times. It occurs centuries ago, and the language is different. Even with modern translations, it can be difficult to apply them to our lives. Their customs were different, and for most of us, they took place hundreds of miles away. Which is why I'd like to tell you some Bible stories that relate to everyday life. So these Bible stories have really good moral lessons as they should. So Jesus told stories with parables. And the very definition of a parable is a simple story, again, that Jesus told with a spiritual, or in these examples, moral lesson. The first story is of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan is found in Luke chapter 10. A lawyer with less than honorable motives asked Jesus this question, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, always referring back to the law of Moses, asks what it says. The Lord replies correctly, reciting the ancient text about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbors as yourself. But, because that is very difficult to do, the Lord tries to justify himself and asks, Who is my neighbor? Jesus, in his wisdom, tells this story. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now the chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, 
when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? The answer to Jesus' question is obvious, the Samaritan. While we do not regularly encounter Samaritans, we do regularly associate with people we do not like or with people who have less than pleasant dispositions. Whether you bump into these people in school, at work, or in social circles, you are commanded to love them as you do yourself. Now this does not mean go over and hug them, which might freak them out a bit, but begin small. Pray for them, not that they suddenly became easy to get along with, but for their souls and the difficult things going on in their lives that you know nothing about. You will find that when you sincerely pray for someone, that it is difficult to be unkind to them. Your next step is to encourage and support them like you do the people in your lives that you truly do love, and go from there. The next story is called The Unforgiving Servant. We find the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18. A man comes forward and asks Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother. Seven times? Jesus, knowing that forgiveness goes much deeper than our day-to-day interaction, tells this story. Therefore, the kindness of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had on pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until they should pay all that was due to him. In short, we are forgiven and reconciled to God through Jesus, our debt which we could not pay, has been paid, and therefore we should forgive others. Easier said than done, right? And the last story is the parable of the lost coin, found in Luke 15. This parable shows how important we are to God and how all of heaven rejoices when we come to salvation. Salvation is not simply a box we check. It is the beginning of a new life. Everything changes. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, 
for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So next, I want to introduce a song to you, and it's called The Word by Tommy Walker. And here it is. We love your word, Lord. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Let's sing it. Oh, the word of God is living. The word of God is active. Sharper than a double-edged sword. Separated spirit and soul. The word of God is standing. Eternal in the heavens. A lamp unto our feet. A light unto our path. Oh, we love your word. We love your word, oh Lord. We hide it in our hearts. We want to live. We want to live your word. Stand on your promises. Now and
Alrighty, what a great song by Tommy Walker. You can connect with him on YouTube, just subscribe to his channel, or you can get a hold of him through TommyWalkerMinistries.org. So Rick Warren writes, feed your mind with God's word. So if you want a healthy mind, you must feed your mind with truth. You know the importance of nutrition. Good food and good calories make you stronger and healthier and give you more energy. But bad calories and junk food harm your body. The same is true in your thought life. You must feed your mind, not with junk or poison, but with truth. One time I had the privilege of lecturing at the University of Oxford. I was invited to go to a meeting of the Oxford Analytica, a group that has enormous influence in the world. Every day around 6 a.m., leading scholars would gather to get reports from all around the world about what happened in the last 24 hours from crop prices rising in China to unrest in the Middle East. Then they would decide what needs to be said about it by 11 a.m. A report would be given to groups that pay a lot of money for this information, such as governments and major corporations. Oxford Analytica was founded on the idea that the best leaders make the best decisions when they have the best information. Even good leaders are more likely to make bad decisions if they don't have good information. To live the best life, the, the life God wants you to live, you need the best information too. And you'll find that information in the Word of God. So the Bible says in Matthew 4.4, 4, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God wants you to make the best decisions and receive the best for your life. You do that by feeding the Word of God throughout your day, every day. So the Bible as often referred to as the Word of God is like we've talked about, and rightly so, for this is what it claims to be. The Apostle Paul, for example, states, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in your believers, out of 1 Thessalonians 2.13. So the Bible is God's self-revelation to humans. God speaks to humans. Sometimes he does so directly or in dreams. But God's primary means of communication is through the Bible, as it is written down by inspired human authors. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers and the prophets from Hebrews 1.1. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit from 2 Peter 1.21. God's words were written down and transmitted to later generations. This process was guided by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Paul can claim the Bible is written by God. All scriptures are breathed out by God from 2 Timothy 3.16. So the Bible contains a lot of historical details, many of which have meanwhile been confirmed by other historical sources or archaeological discoveries. The biblical records are trustworthy. Moreover, many historical facts were prophesied long before they happened. Hundreds of prophecies all throughout the Old Testament were fulfilled in the birth, life, and death of Jesus. For example, in Micah 5.2, we read about Bethlehem as the birthplace of a ruler whose coming is from the old. That fits perfectly with Jesus as the eternal God who was born as a human baby in Bethlehem. He would be the son of David, and indeed his mother Mary and her man Joseph were of the house of David. And there were many more prophecies, not only about Jesus, but also about other historical facts. 
This is very clear evidence that the Bible is God's word, since human authors could never have foreseen these details centuries before. They can only be written down by an author who foreknew what would happen. The Bible is just not a book. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of the joints of the morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And again, that's from Hebrews 4.12. It is not random force, but purposely used by God. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish which which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sin it. From Isaiah 55:11. So many Christians have already experienced this. The Bible is a life importance because it confronts us with our sins. It points us to Jesus. It teaches and encourages. It is food for the soul. From Matthew 4:4. 4, 4. Countless lives have already been transformed by the supernatural power of God's word. The Bible has been written centuries ago, but it is still relevant and applicable. It will never become outdated. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of God will stand forever from Isaiah 40 verse 8. That makes the Bible unique, not comparable to any other book. As Jesus told his hearers, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law, until all is accomplished from Matthew 5.18. So the scriptures contain all the information we need about ourselves, about God, and about our relationship with him. This information is vitally important. We need it in order to find eternal life, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, from John 17.3. The Bible is like a light to our path leading us to God. Jesus himself stressed this, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, out of Luke 11.28. But not only the Bible is called the word of God, the ultimate word of God is a person. It is God the Son. So let me read the verse in Hebrews 1 again. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed their heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. From Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. This Son of God, through whom the world was created, is called the Word. In John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and in the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This eternal word of God became flesh. He was born as a human baby called Jesus. He has made known the Father to us through the Bible. We learn about the life, death, and resurrection of this word of God, but also about the miracles and teachings. That way, we too can get to know the Father. So I'm going to end today's episode on an audio clip by Billy Graham called Time is Short. I've played this audio clip before, but it's really good, and it's the time that we probably need to listen to it again. So here it is. Time is short. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. If I told, if someone had told me when I was 20 years old 
that life was very short and would pass just like that, I wouldn't have believed it. And if I tell you that, you don't believe it either. I cannot get young people to understand how brief life is, how quickly it passes. It seems like yesterday I was in school. Every one of us here has been given the same amount of time in a day. 1,440 minutes a day, 168 hours per week. 70 years God allows us. And it's interesting to me with all of our medical science, we've never passed that magic mark. The average American male today lives 70 years and four months. The average female 73 years and six months. More people live to be 70, but the average age of an American is still 70 as taught in the scriptures. What a thing it is when you think that you have just one short life to spend and it'll soon be over. I'd write down my priorities in life and I'd get committed to certain priorities. Now is the accepted time. The things we ought to do, the classes we ought to take, the books we ought to read. Do it now. The family that needs you, spend more time now. Write that letter home now that you've been meaning to write. Money you ought to give, give now. Time for study, do it now. People you ought to witness to, do it now. Every time the clock ticks, it seems to say now. Today, if you will hear his voice. There may not be a tomorrow for you and for me because there's a warning to time. Time is running out for all of us. Time is too short for indecision and vacillation. Do not halt between two opinions. Fools say that time is long. Every morning we have 86,400 seconds to spend and to invest. And each day the bank named time opens a new account it allows no balances and no overdrafts. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. The Bible says redeem the time because the days are evil. And the days in which we're living are very evil. If there was ever a time for the gospel that can transform the human heart, it's now. Jesus said as long as it is day, we must do the work of him that sent us. The night is coming when no man can work. The night is going to come in your life. Yet there was a serenity about the work of the Lord Jesus. It's the quality of life, not the length. Jesus only had 33 years. And it ended on the cross. To the world, he was a failure at that moment. Yet at the end of his life, he said, I finished the work that thou gavest me to do. It doesn't matter whether you live another year or two years or five years. Will your work be finished? Is there a quality to it? Is there a dedication to it? Suppose all of our members tithe their time to witness for Christ as we tithe our income for the church. Fill your heart with the word of God. I've found that those who know the scriptures are the ones that have the power today. But we need men and women who walk with God. And if you do that, you too can finish the work that God gave you to do and help us to realize the brevity and the urgency of time. And may we invest what little time we have in the kingdom of God.
So that does bring an end of our episode today. My closing prayer as always is that God blesses the journey you're on with him and that you embrace that path. So next week's episode is going to be on God's family. So you can connect with me at positivelightpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Anywhere you download your podcast, you can get Positive Light for free. Hope everybody had a great week. God bless, and we'll catch you next week.